never had walk-up music before. That's pretty cool. <laughs> it's good to see everybody here today. Like, like Chris just said, my name is Nathan. I'm blessed to serve here as a pastor as well as at Peace in Tustin. And so just thankful to be here today. I always love to start our time together in God's Word with a prayer because, because we need the Holy Spirit to open our hearts and our lives to the truth of God's Word. Amen? And so let's, let's go to him in prayer right now, just asking that he would open his word to us. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the gift of your word. We thank you for the way it challenges us, the way it convicts us, and the way it points us to Jesus, who is our only hope. Send your Holy Spirit into our hearts and into our lives. Open your word to us today and speak your truth into our living. And we all said together, amen. Well, that night, my heart was pounding in my chest. See, something very, very big was about to happen the next day. And I would be lying if I said that I wasn't nervous. See, in a little over 24 hours from that moment, I was going to get ordained. And I can remember sitting there that evening and turning to my wife and confiding in her that I was unsure, I was really unsure whether I had what it took to be a pastor. I I had spent several years studying. I And the more I studied, the more keenly I became aware of the weight of it all, the weight of that call to preach God's word to God's people, the weight of shepherding God's people as they went through the highs and lows of life. And that night, just just hours before I would take those vows in front of God and his church, I remember feeling inadequate. I remember feeling small. I remember feeling maybe ill-equipped. I even felt unqualified and unworthy for the journey I was about to embark on. And as most of the men here can probably attest, God often speaks to us through our wives. Amen? If I don't hear an amen, we're going to have some wives nudging their husbands out there. Come on. That's right. And that happened to me that evening. Uh, My wife, I was confiding in her, and she put her hand on my shoulder. And I remember her words. This is what she told me. She says, God has this strange habit. He has this habit of working through lowly, broken, and imperfect people, unworthy people, to accomplish his purposes, and he does it through his word in the world. Today, we're going to look at the calling of Isaiah the prophet. And I'm going to invite you today to find yourself in this story because you might be here today. And you might have thought, you know, that's great if Pastor Nathan can say those things, but what about me? Maybe you're here today and you feel the same way I did. Like, maybe like if Pastor Nathan only knew how badly I've messed up, how far I have strayed. I've got no business serving God. I've got no business being his witness to the world. And in one sense, if that's you today, you're right. But we're going to discover something wonderful today about God. 
And my prayer for you is that if you find yourself standing next to the prophet Isaiah today, that you're going to see yourself at the entrance to the doorway to the throne room of the Most High and Holy God. And that what God reveals to you about himself will be as terrific as it is terrifying. Today, today we're going to look at a glorious and awe-inspiring vision. We will journey with the prophet Isaiah as he comes face to face with God and his encounter with the Almighty. What it reveals, I guarantee will change your perspective. It will change your view of God. It will challenge your view of yourself. And in that moment, in that moment, you will find and you will discover a renewed purpose for your life. So today, you will discover that you must see God to serve God. You must see God in order to serve God. I will unpack that as we go through the message today. But before we dig in, I want to give you a little bit of context for where we are. We've had the glorious privilege over the last few weeks of walking through the book of Acts. We were looking at snapshots of the early church. Well, today, we're in a whole different place in the Bible. We're backing it up some 700 years before the birth of Jesus and we're looking at the prophet Isaiah. He's writing during a tumultuous time for the people of Israel. We're in the southern kingdom of Judah, a time of relative prosperity has, has been enjoyed all across the land over the lengthy reign of this mostly godly king Uzziah. Then his pride crept in, and it led to his downfall. See, Uzziah had made a decision to enter the temple and to perform a priestly task of burning incense on the altar, something that was strictly forbidden by God. And he had immediately been stricken with leprosy. And it's during this last year of King Uzziah's life, you can almost picture it as King Uzziah is starting to fade away. And that the people of Israel... Well, they have followed the path of their leader. They had become proud. They had disobeyed, disobeyed God. And because of it, the Assyrians are now this massive, brooding military force that is starting to threaten God's people. It's during this last year of King Uzziah's life, you can almost picture Isaiah, the prophet. He is walking into maybe the temple himself. And instead of seeing the temple that was before him, he now, he now sees a vision, a vision of the throne room of God. He is overwhelmed. But we're going to pick it up at Isaiah chapter 6, starting at verse 1. This is what it says. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne. Here we see the reality that earthly kings, earthly leaders will all fade away. 
But the Most High God is eternal. He is in total authority, even when it doesn't seem like it. God is the true king. You've got the king that's fading away because of his pride and arrogance, compared to the God of the universe who never fades. It continues. The train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings, with two wings that covered their faces and with two that covered their feet. And with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. And at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook and the temple was filled with smoke. Whoa! Like, what an incredible scene. It's meant to sort of blow you away as you... Walk into it with Isaiah. And I want you to notice something about Isaiah. He stops describing God after he gets to the train of his robe. It's as if the train of the robe is the first thing he notices. It's filling everything in the temple. And he starts to think, like if his robe is that big, how big is the throne? How huge is the one who is sitting on it? It's as if Isaiah is like surveying the room. He looks at the train of the robe. It fills everything there. And as his eyes start to rise from the train of the robe, he has no words to describe what he is seeing. Isaiah's experience is far too personal, far too awesome, too all-encompassing to fully describe. But just then he sees seraphim. These are burning angels with wings covering their faces and their feet flying about. God is so far beyond even the angels. I want you to think about this. These angels are perfect. They are holy. And even they are covering their faces before God. It reveals to us that their words are powerful that God is so far beyond even angels, how do we relate to him? We've got three words that they say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. Everything, everywhere is filled with the expression of his holiness, his glory in the world. So by repeating this holy three times, the angels are revealing that God is beyond everything, all holiness, There is literally nothing like him anywhere. There is God, and then there is everything else. It also subtly hints at the nature of God. Today's Trinity Sunday, as Chris mentioned earlier, and we celebrate who God is. You got three persons, each of them uniquely holy, but members of the one Godhead, one God, the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, all one God, equally holy. And this is the God that Isaiah has cast his eyes upon as he enters the throne room of the Most High. The first thing we must acknowledge then for us is that many of us have an underwhelming and inadequate view of who God is. 
We may have relegated God, the God who created all things, to a buddy we hang out with. Someone who pals along with us on this journey called life, offering words of encouragement along the way. Uh, Maybe we even go so far as to consider him our therapist who wants to help us overcome our personal failures and become the best version of ourselves, to modify our morality, if you will. But friends, this is not the God that Isaiah comes face to face with. And I want you to look at Isaiah's reaction. He screams out. This is what he says. Woe to me. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Isaiah has come face to face with the greatness, the power, the glory, the transcendence, the complete and total holiness of the triune God, and he is rightly terrified. He knows that no one can look on God and live. No sinner can stand in his presence. So he screams out, I am undone. I am a goner. He reveals that his lips, which speak from an overflow of the heart, they expose his reality. He is totally and utterly unclean. Not just partially dirty, not just a little unfit, but totally helpless and hopeless. He's guilty as charged. He deserves nothing but death. He's no better than the people he is called to serve. The truth revealed here is that when we see God for who he is, we begin to see ourselves for who we are. Any pretense has a way of being eliminated when we come face to face with the sheer and utter holiness of God. There's no one, there is nothing like our God. And we in our sinful condition are the farthest thing from the holiness of him. God is completely beyond everything else in creation. He is perfect in all of his ways, and we are so completely not. But what we'll discover now is that when we come to the end of ourselves before our God, something strange, something magnificent occurs, something unexpected, something unearned, something unmerited. See, just when Isaiah has come to the end of himself, says one of the seraphim flew to me, that is Isaiah speaking, with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar, and with it he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips. I want you to key in on these words, friends. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Who shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. I want you to notice the coal there. It comes from the altar of the Lord. 
And though Isaiah doesn't tell us which altar it comes from, it could have been the altar of incense, but it could have also been the altar of sacrifice where blood was spilled to atone for the sins of the people. And the fiery coal, it touches his lips, but instead of hurting him, it heals him. He didn't even ask for it. But God brought him exactly what he needed out of his sheer goodness and mercy and grace. God meets Isaiah in the wreckage of his sin and he takes his shame away and he atones for all that stands between God and Isaiah. Friends, the same thing has been done for each and every single one of us. I love that passage that Kelly read earlier from Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 4. But the writer of Hebrews builds on it several chapters later in Hebrews 10. He says this, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of who? Jesus. By a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body. The writer of Hebrews says that sinners can now have confidence. Confidence. Think about that compared to how Isaiah initially reacted. In terror, he fell on his face, but God provided exactly what Isaiah needed. Friends, God has provided exactly what you need to have a restored relationship with God Almighty. You can have confidence today to boldly approach the holy God of the universe because of the one-time final sacrifice of Jesus as he spilled his blood on the cross. The Godhead made a way by sending his son, the eternal son of God, into our time and to our space to live the life we could not live, to die the death we deserved, to be the one-time final sacrifice for our sin. And he opened a way into the holy of holies. That is direct access to God, the Father Almighty. We have direct access to our God, which we can enter confidently with courage and with boldness and without fear. And we can enjoy a restored relationship with God. He continues, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from what? A guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. See, by faith in Jesus Christ, we can draw near to God in confidence, being cleansed from our uncleanness, being purged eternally of our guilt because of the faith given in our baptisms where we were washed with pure water, where we died and rose again with Jesus. We now enjoy a restored relationship and direct access to the eternal holy God of the universe for all eternity. And friends, nothing Nothing can ever separate you from God's love. Amen? Amen. Amen. That is glorious. 
good news. This experience with unmerited grace. The story didn't stop there with Isaiah. And it doesn't stop there for us. We now, we now respond with a servant-hearted response. We now echo Isaiah's words in all areas of our lives. His words were, here am I, send me. So in all areas of your life, I invite you to proclaim those words. Here's my encouragement for you as you prepare to leave here today. Do not let the shame of your past silence your service today. Just like the prophet of Isaiah, the process of becoming a servant of God begins in your recognition of your hopeless state, the hopelessness of the situation, but it doesn't stop there. Because friends, God meets you in your hopelessness. He meets you in the hopeless moment and brings you the restorative hope of Jesus That elicits a transformation in our hearts. So your cries of desperation turn to shouts of acclamation. And now from that moment, you can walk from this place today being reminded of the confidence that you have because of what Jesus, the final atoning sacrifice, has done for you. Now, friends, let us leave this place today and in all areas of our lives, our families, our neighborhoods, our workplaces, open your mouths and let the overflow of your newly cleansed and purged heart speak to the world. Here am I. Send me. You become a fountain of the good news of Jesus to those you've been sent to. Amen? Amen. Open your mouths and humbly say with me today, and I encourage you to do it, here am I. Send me. Let's try that again. Here am I. Send me. Amen.